The Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians, he said, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine, to him be glory in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Now he kind of just piles some word on top of each other right there. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could imagine. Now, can you imagine a lot? Yeah, I mean, a human imagination, I, I think that's one of the parts of being created in the image of God is we can create ideas from nothing. I mean, we kind of can, can build, and yet Paul says that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. David said it this way in the 23rd Psalm. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over you know, throughout Scripture, there is there are picture after picture after picture, an example of God being generous. And I mean a generosity that defies reason, a generosity that, that reflects His heart, that he, he really doesn't want to withhold from His people, from His children. And so when we don't experience, you know, this abundance in life, is it because God has withheld or is it because maybe we're looking in the wrong spot? Because what we see in Matthew chapter 20 is a story, another parable, where Jesus shows us just how generous God really is. And within the story, you have certain people, you know, kind of everybody starts out with joy but by the end of the story, there are people who have lost their joy who really shouldn't have. There was no reason for them to lose their joy. In fact, if they understood the, the vineyard owner in this story, their joy should have increased because they would have recognized what was happening. And yet their joy did not increase and they began to resent the generosity of the master. And Jesus tells us this is going to be the case with the kingdom of God in some ways. And so look with me in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 16. And Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went out. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. 
Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Now this is really an interesting story because nobody in the story has been wronged. Everybody, like I said, starts with some joy. They all are glad. They're like, yay, I get to work. And remember, uh, we, we learned last week at Denarius, the amount he agreed to pay was the normal going rate for a day's labor. So he's paying them a fair wage. Everything is great. These guys hang around in the marketplace waiting for a job. He shows up, says, hey, do you want a job? They're like, yes. And they're glad. There's joy. And this is, this is about 6 a.m., okay, that they show up, and, and he says, yes, come and work. And then he does it at 6, and then he goes back at 9, and he finds more people. And then he goes back at noon, and then he goes back at 3, and then he goes at 5, an hour before the day is finished. And he just keeps sending them into his field, saying, yeah, go work, go work, go work. Now, what do we see right here? First is that this must be a pretty abundant harvest. It's an abundant, like this landowner, this vineyard owner is, is ecstatic. I mean, he, he's hiring people and he sees there's so much work to be done. He keeps hiring more people and he's, and he's able to bless more people than maybe he ever has in this moment. And he just keeps seeing people. And he's like, you know what? There are more grapes. There's more. Just get out there and work on it. And at 5 o'clock, an hour before quitting time, he sees more people. And he's like, there's more work. I can hire more people. Go out there and do it. And so this, in a moment, is a moment of joy for the, the, the master of the house. He's got maybe the best harvest he's ever had. He's got money to spare, and he's being generous with it. He wants to help as many people as he can, and he does it. And he sends them to work. He pays them a fair wage. And as the day draws near, he, he realizes he can bless more and more and more people. And so he doesn't look at this from a, a standpoint of who's earned the most. What is he looking at it from? How can I be generous? That's his frame of reference. He's looking at it from a, a, a viewpoint of generosity. I want to help as many people as I can. And he wants it to, to be honest. And so he sends them out to work and he pays them for it. And he's able to just keep doing it. And one of the things we learn from this story, you're going to like this, is that grace is unfair. Grace is unfair, like in every way. Okay, let's define grace really fast. Okay, what, what you know, the, the Sunday school answer for grace is what? It is unmerited, undeserved favor. Which means by definition, grace cannot be fair or it's not grace. And he is showing us that God, while it's going to be just in, in the ways that God is just, it is never going to be fair. And we miss the joy of grace if we live our life with God looking for things to be fair. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And you know what that is right there? That is the most unfair transaction that ever happened in the history of creation. Jesus Christ, who was perfect in every way, had all of the sins of the world laid on him, voluntarily became the sacrifice so that we who were sinful could be made righteous. Now, I don't know about you, but that is about as unbalanced a transaction as there is ever or ever will be. That is the foundation for the kingdom of God. And it's unfair. What would have been fair? What would have been fair is for Jesus to show up in the entire world to worship him, and Jesus then cast judgment on every person in the world as a lawbreaker, as a sinner, and condemn them to hell. That would have been fair. You see, here, here's the great thing is, we don't really want fair. None of us does. We think we do, but what we really want is we want to make sure things balance out for us. But we really don't want fair when it comes to the kingdom of God. Because you know what fair is? The wages of sin is death. That's it. It stops right there. You all are, you know, you know the second part of that verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But fair is simply the wages of sin is death. End. That's fair. And if we really want to talk about what's fair, we have to go to the law, not grace. Because the law in the Old Testament was about fairness. It was all about fairness. And what happens is, remember the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? What we do will come back on us under the law. And everybody winds up condemned. Everybody winds up condemned. And so we can't live our lives with God looking around going, well, what's fair? Did God, did you give me what you gave others? We can't be jealous. We can't be envious. We can't compare. We have to live our life understanding God's grace in its varied forms is going to be unfair at every stop. And we haven't gotten what we deserve, and other people aren't getting what they deserve, but we do get God's grace and His love in the kingdom of God, which none of us deserves. And so I want to ask you this question. How far does grace go? If we really start thinking about grace and what it means that God forgives the unforgivable in us, how far is acceptable when talking about grace? Who can be forgiven? Has grace ever made you uncomfortable when you really started thinking about it? You know, I remember a story about an inmate who had committed horrific crimes. And on the night, another kind of, a, you know, mass murder was being put to death. This inmate called the chaplain of the prison and said, I want to talk. And over the next several months, this inmate and this chaplain sat and talked and, and the inmate started reading the Bible and he started reading and, and he said, okay, so, you know, I've done horrible things in my life. Can I really be forgiven of them? And the chaplain said, yes, you can. He goes, but, you know, how do I live? I understand you've explained repentance. How do I live repentance now? I've got a life sentence. I'm never getting out of here. And he says, well, your life now, you live for Jesus Christ, which means you become a model prisoner. You start to live according to the life that is in front of you. 
And he said, okay, I think I understand that. Later on, after more meetings, this inmate bowed his head and put his faith in Jesus Christ. Now this is what's about to make you uncomfortable. That inmate's name? Jeffrey Dahmer. Now how many of you right there inside said, oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Really? I'd... <laughs> you know what? I've read that story a couple of times, and I really hope it's true. I really do. I hope that I get to heaven one day, and he's there going, it was real. <laughs> grace is real. I was forgiven. You see, grace has to make us uncomfortable, or, or, or we haven't really understood it. And that's what happened in this story is it was acceptable to a point. And then they started to look and say, wait a minute, this generosity is getting out of hand. They only worked for an hour and I worked all day. Surely I deserve more. When, you know what was great is 11 hours earlier, they were happy just to have a job. <laughs> they were celebrating that they were going to have a day's wages. And in just 11 short hours... They now feel ripped off. They feel like something is wrong. You see, grace, by its very nature, means God is not being fair. I want you to listen to these verses with that in mind now. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, boasting, what, what is that? That is pride. In this story of the workers in the vineyard, what we have is a group of people that began to think their work was more valuable than others. And they began to inwardly boast about the work they had done. And they lost sight of the fact that it was the vineyard owner that was paying them and they'd already agreed and they came aboard and they had joy. They lost their joy because they began to boast in themselves and not the generosity of the vineyard owner. See, we can't become proud and think that we are accomplishing something in the kingdom of God apart from grace. We have to be grateful for everything that God does from beginning to end. And, and what, if these people had understood the generosity of the vineyard owner properly, they would have looked, and as they're doing their work, and they see that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as they see more workers coming in, they think, man, this is, this is great. Look at all the people being blessed. Look at this. This is an amazing crop. This is something wonderful that's happening right here. Look at all the people that are going to be able to go home and feed their family tonight. This is great. But they didn't think that way. What did they think? I deserve more. I deserve more. Because they didn't live out of a heart of grace. And they didn't understand one of the, the basic truths of grace is that we cannot compare with other people. When grace is unfair and we start comparing with other people, we're always going to come up with something just out of balance. 
And it's going to lead to bitterness. And we're going to think that somehow we're owed something more or, or they're owed less. Or we start to resent people for their success or, or whatever. We, we see that in our country right now is that there is a whole philosophy out there of hating people because they don't have what I, they have what I want or I don't have what they have. And, and it's kind of pushed and it's, and people are told you should hate this person for this reason when, you know what, what does the Bible tell us? It says you should love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love somebody if you're coveting what they have. You, you just can't. And what we need to learn out of this is that there is no status in God's kingdom. There's no status in that nobody's above the other. Nobody, nobody earns position higher. Whatever we do here in obedience to God, we're able to do because of God's grace in our lives. I, I don't wake up one morning, it's like, you know what, today I think I'll honor God. You know why I honor God in my life? Because the Holy Spirit has come into my life. And, and God has given me a new nature through His Spirit. And if I don't have that new nature, I'm not going to honor God. So anything I do in my life that is, quote, working in God's vineyard is a result of God's grace. It's a result of what He's done, and I have no right to compare myself to another one of God's workers and say, well, I deserve more, or they deserve less, or this. It's none of my business what God does with His grace. We, there, there is no status. We all have to be humble in God's kingdom. And being humble means what? It means I'm willing to put others first. It means I'm willing to sacrifice of my own so that others can flourish. It means that I don't need to be recognized. You see, the workers in the vineyard that were hired first, as they boasted of their work in, in, internally, they got to the end thinking, I need to be recognized for my work. I need to be recognized. I should be praised because I worked longer than they did. And it stole their joy. And that was all up to them. Like the, the owner had agreed and he was going to pay everybody a denarius. He was happy to do it. He was rejoicing that he could bless so many people. And guess what? He wasn't going to, they, they weren't going to change the vineyard owner's mind with their grumbling. Not one bit. They weren't going to change his mind and they weren't going to steal his joy. What did he tell him? He's like, take your money and leave. Just go. You're not happy about it. That's on you. I've been able to bless a lot of people today. This has been a good day. And you agreed to work, and what I do with my own money is my business, not yours. You see, they thought they had earned some kind of status and were owed something instead of simply being humble and celebrating. And when we forget that there is no status in God's kingdom, we start showing partiality in some way. It just happens. And in James 2, 1 through 4, listen to this. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, why is it judges with evil thoughts? 
because we think somebody is above another. We make distinctions that are based on our understanding of things and not on the grace of God. In God's kingdom, there's no status to be had. You know what the status in God's kingdom is? Are you in? Yes. Praise God. Are you not in? No, I'm not in. Would you like to be in? Let me tell you about Jesus who died for you. That's it. You're either in or you're out. There's no more status after that. We read in Revelation that the, the people stand before the throne and, and God has placed a crown on all of the believers. And what do they do? They take their crown off and they throw it at the feet of Jesus because they're like, it's not me. I don't deserve this crown. It's not my crown. It's your crown and I'm giving it back to you. And they're all happy to do it and they just praise Jesus and, and, and they fall down before him in heaven. And guess what? Everybody's doing it. Even the angels, everyone, nobody is receiving any glory except for Jesus. But if we don't fix this thinking now, it is possible to be stuck in a way of thinking that, that misses grace and sees people with, with an eye of status, with distinctions, with judgmental thoughts, that sees one person over another, it is possible to be stuck in that thinking for all eternity. In Luke chapter 16, we read the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man has all the fine things, and Lazarus, a beggar, sits outside and he has sores on him, and dogs lick his sores, and all this stuff, and it's just a juxtaposition that's as bad as it could get. And they both die on the same night. Jesus tells the story, and what, what happens? The poor man goes to Abraham's side, he goes to heaven, the rich man goes to hell. And it says this in Luke 16, 23 through 25. It says, and in Hades, being in torment, this is the rich man, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now there's something that most people miss right there. Send Lazarus to serve me. Even in death, in hell, he still sees Lazarus as below him. He still is like, hey, send that guy. That guy can come and help me. You see, hell hadn't changed his mind at all. He's still stuck in that way of thinking. In his torment, he is still stuck there thinking that some one person is above another. That's tragic. You see, God's grace is so unfair that we need to, to learn to celebrate that. And I mean it, we've got to celebrate God's grace in, in all of its forms. And how do we do that? We're first by the, the simple of the Ten Commandments, the last of the ten, do not covet. What is coveting? It is wanting something that is not yours. It is, it is failing to be content with the blessings of God in your life as they are. The Apostle Paul said if we have daily, you know, if we have clothing and, and food for the day, we're good. We should be good. And he says godliness with contentment is great gain. Now why is that? Contentment is the doorway to all the other blessings of God. 
It is. Contentment is the doorway to all the other blessings of God. Because so long as we're unhappy with God's grace in our life, so long as we think we deserve more, then that means we've got an eye on the world and an eye on God at the same time, and we're trying to manipulate God into giving us this stuff over here. We think that, you know, somehow I can work the system. And I see this all the time. This is a horrible problem in our country right now because we, we have this self-help gospel this self-help teaching going on right now that basically says, look, you know, I realize that you're in debt up to your eyeballs and you work you know, 90 hours a week and you're busy and you never take a break and you never do anything. So if you just go ahead and throw God into the mix, he'll make it all work. And we see it over and over as people just like, okay, okay, God, if I just honor you and everything that I do, and God's like, okay, you want to honor me? Slow down. We're like, what? No, no, wait. I got, I can't slow down. I got to just go. We got to go. That's what we do in this country. We just keep going. We work harder and work harder. And so I'm adding you to the mix, God. See, you made the cut. Can you please just make it all work now? And God's like, no, I'm not going to make it all work. Be content. I have provided for you. Why do you need to go into debt to get stuff that you don't even want? that you don't need. Don't go into debt for that. You see, when we start coveting, we lose sight of what's most important. And so there there are a lot of Jewish scholars that look at the Ten Commandments and they they see the first one. What's the first one? I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. What is the Tenth Commandment? Do not covet. And they see them as bookends. That if, if you just fulfilled these two, none of this other stuff in the middle would really even happen. You, you wouldn't have to worry about them. Because if, if you're not coveting, then that means God is first in your life, which means what? You're, you're probably not going to gossip about other people because you don't want their status hurt or your status built up. You're not going to steal because you're not going to be materialistic. You're not going to kill someone because, hey, you love them as you love yourself. You're going to take a break on the Sabbath because you know what? You don't need to go into debt to buy the ninth vehicle. You see, that they're kind of a bookend right there that he's saying, look, these two right here will take care of all of it. But we have to be willing to be content with grace. And as we see in this story, that's hard. It's hard to do. But if we understand grace properly, if the the people in this story understood grace and generosity and contentment, they would see those other people come in at 5 p.m. and start working. And they, you know, I would imagine those guys probably worked really hard for that hour. Because they're like, well, I get to, because I mean, at that point, they've probably given up on the day, right? They've waited around all day. They're not getting hired. They got to go home now to their family and tell them I, I couldn't get work today. And they have an hour. And they're like, what? I I get to work? And they're like, yeah, go out there and I'll I'll pay you what's right. Just don't worry. I don't well, how much am I gonna make? It's only an hour. He's like, don't don't worry about it. Just go work. Man, they're probably picking those grapes like crazy. Okay. And they worked hard and they go in and they're like, okay, I they you know, they maybe bring their bushel back and they're like, This this is all I was able to get. I I I worked it really hard. And he's like, here's a denarius. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You're paying me a whole day? What happened? They go away with joy. 
I mean, they would be so overcome with thankfulness and, and joy and, and gratitude that what are they going to do? They're going to go tell everybody, man, that guy's generous. That guy gave me a day's wages for an hour of work. Whereas the people who went first, what are they doing? They're complaining that they got work when they wouldn't have had it before. Man, that guy, can you believe he only paid me a day's wage for a day's labor? You know, you can almost imagine that discussion. He gets home with his wife. I'm so mad at that guy. Well, what did he do? He paid me a fair wage. Why are you mad? Well, because other people came in and they didn't work very long, but he paid them a day's wage. But you got a day's wage, right? Yeah. And you you didn't yesterday, so it's probably better today. Yeah, but I'm still mad. Why? Celebrate God. Celebrate the goodness. Celebrate His generosity. And I can see that, pro- that, you know, that, that conversation would probably wind up in a weird spot. Because none of us wants to hear that we're being selfish. And yet that's exactly what was going on here. And you see, we have an enemy in this world that wants us jealous, wants us envious, wants us covetous, and wants us divided. Our enemy wants us to hate people because apparently they're getting something we don't have. When really God is providing for everybody. His word says that His reign falls on the just and the unjust. He provides for His people. He provides for this world. But coveting takes all of that away. When we lose contentment, it doesn't matter how good it actually is. When we cease being content, nothing will satisfy. Nothing. And you know how I know that? Adam and Eve. Garden of Eden. You know what the word Eden means? Delight. God took Adam and Eve and put them in a garden that he called delight. And you know what he said? Eat all you want. Enjoy this to your fill. Eat of every tree in the garden, which included the tree of life, except for this one right here. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God gave, I mean, their situation was the best humanity was ever going to see. This was, I mean, think about it. It was just perfect. There was no sin. There was no death. There was nothing that they could say like, wow, you know, God, if you'd have just done this, it would have been a little bit better. And yet, what happened? They started to covet. They became discontent when the serpent looked at them and says, oh, but if you eat of that one, you'll be like God. And they thought, I want to be like God. I'm no longer happy with the situation as it is. Even though life is perfect, I want more. I want more. The instant we lose contentment, we lose joy. We lose track of grace and all that God has done for us and what He provides. We just, it's amazing how quickly we can just discount it all. Just just discount it all. Like none of it matters anymore. Adam and Eve, life is perfect. Hey, isn't this wonderful? We're in this place called delight. Oh, but it could be better. You're right. I'll risk it all. And they just walk away from it. And so I want to ask you, how are you giving thanks to God for the grace that is seen in the lives of others? Do you celebrate the grace of God that you see happening around you? Or does it lead to some kind of discontent, jealousy, 
Maybe thinking God left you out. Overlooked. Because Satan wants us to believe that. And trust me, he is the master at getting people to believe God has somehow withheld something. If he convinced Adam and Eve of it in the Garden of Delight, he can convince us of it in this broken world we're in now. But if we look just, just very quickly, 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul in his introduction, how does he start most of his letters? With something like this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul's prayers were consistently prayers of thanks for God's grace in their lives. Now, where did Paul write many of these letters? While he was in prison. And he finds joy because while in prison, he's thinking, wow, God is showing grace to so many people right now. This is amazing. You know what you never find Paul writing? Hey guys, it would be really great if you could pray that God would get me out of prison. I hate this. I want out. I can't do ministry. It's not working. You don't see that. What do you see? You see Paul celebrating the grace of God in the lives of others. That is so amazing to me. He found his joy by seeing what God was doing in other people. And he looked at himself as the sacrifice that was offered to help make that happen. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He, he got it. Like my life is it's just, here's my life. It's for seeing God's grace in other people's lives. And he found complete freedom in that. He found freedom because he was content that God would take care of him. And so, two questions to close out this week that I want you to ask yourself through this week. One, am I comparing myself to others? Are you looking at the world around you and comparing and, and, and falling into the trap of discontentment that says, you know what, I, I want what they have or, or why do they get everything or, or whatever? Am I comparing myself to others? Because when we start comparing that's when we start to hate other people. That's when bitterness sets in. Cain and Abel. Abel makes a sacrifice to God. God accepts it. Cain makes a sacrifice to God that is unacceptable and God doesn't accept it. And instead of fixing the problem in his own life, what does he do? Well, I'll kill my brother. That'll fix it. That'll make God happy. You see, resentment starts to build when we are not content. And, and God even told him, he says, hey, just do what's right, you'll be accepted. I mean, like God did not even get on to Cain for this. He just says, hey, just fix it, do what's acceptable, you'll be accepted, no problem. And then he warns him, but sin is crouching at your door. It longs to have you, but you must master it. And instead of choosing contentment and instead of choosing to celebrate God's grace, he rebelled against it. We will do the same thing in our lives. So am I comparing myself to others? And then two, am I truly grateful for God's grace in the lives of others? Can I truly celebrate it? Does it bring me joy to see God move in the lives of other people? Because when everybody in here, you've been around people like that, right? I mean, that you, they, you see that they have genuine joy in their heart when God does something in their lives. When they're blessed, when something good happens to them, man, they just... They just light up. Can you be that person that is genuinely happy when God blesses other people? If you can do those two things, 
Stop comparing yourself to others and celebrate God's grace in the life of other people. You'll find that God opens a door of joy and contentment in your life that will be unmatched. Satan will not be able to steal your joy in this world.